We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I am your host, Peter Herder. Today, I'm going to kind of do a quick episode. The Lord has been stirring my heart over uh, a specific idea, and I wanted to um, quick get my thoughts on the podcast, kind of put it out there for your, your listening pleasure, something for you to consider. Okay, I'm actually not going to start in... Second Thessalonians. You know what? We are going to start in Second Thessalonians. I'm just going to read it, and then I'm going to introduce an idea, and then I'm going to chase that idea for a little bit, and then I'm going to go back to the passage and finish out there. So Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We've been talking about this um, chapter for the last, I don't know, two or three uh, episodes. Um, Paul writing to the Thessalonian church that he established, um, that Paul says, Hey, when I was with you, I taught you these things. He was teaching the Thessalonians in the early days when they were just getting established about the end times, uh, clearly very important to Paul to supply the faith of the Thessalonians and make sure that the faith of the Thessalonians takes a biblical shape. So if we want the, the faith that Paul is establishing in the Thessalonian church, we have to take his teachings about the end times seriously, especially considering now that we're actually in the end times, it's especially important that our faith takes the biblical shape that Paul is after. So we need to get after what Paul is after here. And so that's, that's my intent is to supply your faith with the faith that I'm seeing Paul supply the Thessalonians here. We can't close our eyes. We can't bury our heads in the sand. It might not be a popular subject. It might be controversial. You may have heard a lot of different teachings on it. But at the end of the day, we need to put our faith solely in Jesus and look to the Bible for ourselves. Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you by any means. Don't let anyone talk you out of the faith that Paul is teaching here. If someone's trying to talk you out of the faith that Paul is establishing, do not listen to them. Listen to the word of God, because it is from the word of God that, we'll, that our faith will take the shape that it's supposed to take. Otherwise, we're going we're gonna to have a misshapen faith. Our faith is going to be a little weird, a little off, a little unbiblical. We don't want that. We want our eyes wide open. We want our faith full and free and fully anchored in the Son of God. So Paul tells the Thessalonians, he teaches them some things about uh, early on, and, and then the Thessalonian church quickly uh, gets off course on a couple of issues. The, you know, the, we, we had talked about 1 Thessalonians, but we're, we're getting into the second letter here. The second letter, Paul wants to make sure that they understand that the day of the Lord didn't already occur. It didn't happen secretly. It didn't happen with no, that, where nobody knows, noticed it happened and like, oh man, we missed it. It's over. I don't even know what we're waiting for anymore. Paul's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I taught you. I taught you about these things at the end. And he says, don't let anybody deceive you because that day will not happen 
unless the great apostasy and the revealing of the man of lawlessness, when he will present himself in the temple of God. We talked about in the last couple of episodes where the temple of God is not the temple in Jerusalem. The temple of God is the human frame. Satan isn't interested in desecrating a building. He wants to desecrate you. Satan doesn't care about a brick building somewhere where he can, you know, pull up a chair and and pretend that he's God or whatever. He wants to ruin the image of God in you. So that's what he's after. He's after desecrating the temple of God. Do you not know you are the temple of God? You are the place of God's dwelling in the earth. If God will take up his habitation, a dwelling place in the earth, it's not going to be in a building made with hands. It's going to be in a temple that God has created in his own image. And we human beings are that temple. And so we're not supposed to be looking for a building in Jerusalem. They've already got one. It's called the Dome of the Rock. I mean, it's about as holy as a temple ceremonial temple would be because let's face it that temple would not be dedicated to Jesus it would not be dedicated to God it would not be I mean they would say it is but it would be dedicated to God the same way the Dome of the Rock is dedicated to Allah not God some other God that's not God and the true God who is Jesus Christ would not be impressed with a temple, with guys with costumes and and uh, you know all the rigmarole that would that would be part of it, that building was left empty. That house was left. Jesus said, "Your house is left desolate." So we're not supposed to be looking for that temple to be destroyed or desecrated. We're looking for the human frame. We're looking for the temple created in the image of God. So not a building in Jerusalem, but someone who's trying to hack into your temple. Someone who is trying to build a portal into you so that eventually he can project himself into your holy of holies, which is meant only for God, He wants to hack into your Holy of Holies. He wants you to invite him, to welcome him, and to agree that he's your God. And that worship made possible by that technology, Mark of the Beast technology, will desecrate the image of God forever. There will be no coming back from that. So Paul says, look for the great apostasy. He says, look for the abomination of desolation. And then he goes on further, and I'll I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll pick up reading here. He says, verse five, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? 
and you know what's restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So that's what we're going to get into today. We talked about the great apostasy last episode. We talked about the abomination of desolation in the last episode. And we talked about the unifying bond between fallen humanity and the Antichrist, and that being lawlessness. You see, fallen humanity isn't going to love the Antichrist the way the church loves Jesus. Love really won't factor into that scenario at all. Uh Uh-uh. Fallen humanity isn't going to love the Antichrist. No, no, no. They're going to lust after pleasure. They're going to lust after lawlessness. It's not that fallen humanity will love the Antichrist. No, 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 no. It's that the Antichrist and fallen humanity will love lawlessness. The love of lawlessness will bind the Antichrist and fallen humanity together. It will be the quest, the desire, the lust for lawlessness that will bind fallen humanity together with the Antichrist under the banner of Satan. The primordial rebel. The OG lawless one. This campaign is a campaign of men and devils. A Psalm 2 quest to break the bonds of God, to break free. So if you break free, if you, in Psalm 2, it says, let me just, I'll just read that real quick because it's so important to understand Psalm 2 in relationship to the lawless one, a lawless humanity pursuing lawlessness. Because together, they're on a quest, and that quest is revealed in Psalm 2. It says, Why did the nations rage, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The rulers of the earth, the kings of the earth, the elite, the leaders, the ones on top, what are they saying? They're saying, let's break free from God. What does that quest look like? That's the quest of lawlessness, my friend. That's what it looks like 
when people want to be free from God. So when the nations are lusting for lawlessness and God finally lifts his restraining hand and gives them what they really, really, really want, the lawless one will arise and they will say, we want him. Now, they don't really want him so much. They want what he stands for. The lawless one is a poster boy for lawlessness. And so when a lawless world sees the poster boy for lawlessness, they'll say, he's our guy. He's the one that will represent us because he's about what we're about. And where does this common pursuit of lawlessness, this commonality between demons and kings and commoners, where does this great pursuit lead? It leads to a great binding together, a binding together of devil and man. This is not the union of Christ and his bride at the end of time. No, that is beautiful and holy and righteous. And the basis of that union is love. A love that lays down our lives for another. Just the same way as Jesus laid down his life for us. He calls us to lay down our lives for him and for each other. It is about God's will, love, loving others, laying our lives down. Not my will, oh God, but your will be done. That is what binds us, the saints, together with our Savior. It's the love of God. That is the basis of our bond. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about Christ and his bride. No, no, no. We're talking about the Antichrist and his whore. The great prostitute. Fallen humanity. What is the basis of their union? The pursuit of lawlessness the destruction of the image of God replaced by the image of the beast. And how does the, how does the devil establish his image in fallen humanity? How does he forever desecrate the image of God and replace it with his own image? He does it through worship. For just as we worship Jesus and we are Um, changed from one degree of glory to another, as we see his face, we become like him more and more. That's why a lifestyle of worship and prayer is not optional for a Christian. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to worship Jesus. That is how we are changed. As we see his face, as he is revealed to us, in his word, by his spirit, we become more like him. Just like the, so that's the principle the devil will work on, work from. That 
hacking into the human temple, presenting himself as fallen humanity's God, demanding worship, going so far as anyone who will not worship will be killed. Very clear. Revelation chapter 13. All will worship or suffer the consequence. That is what is prophesied to come to pass. And it is that campaign of worship that will forever extinguish the image of God in the temple of God and replace it with an idolatrous, wicked, abominable image of the beast. But lo, as I said before, I say again, that's not what we're talking about this episode. So let's go ahead. Let's move forward. I want to tackle the question of the strong delusion. What is with the delusion? We want to get into that. But before we do, I want to talk about the positive side before we get into the negative side. So to get into the positive side, we need to open up to 1 John chapter 5. It says, uh, verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. This, John says, is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. What faith? Our faith in Jesus Christ is what overcomes the world. Where does this faith come from? This is the faith that makes us stand unshakable and unmovable in the face of overwhelming odds. This is the faith that has been handed down from generation to generation one generation after another, all the way down into our day, we have been handed a faith, a faith that has stood up under every and all circumstances. It has overcome the world. I mean, just consider the early, the first church, Peter, James, John, the circumstances they faced, the odds they were up against. The Apostle Paul, what was it that made them overcome? Was it because they were such great dudes? Is it because they're like, oh, wow, these guys are, you know, just top caliber, you know, uh, special operation uh, just the cream of the crop 
people that are just like, wow, if we can just attain to their status, we might have a chance. Like we need to go to like Bud's school for Christianity. And then if we can get through, if we can get through Bud's, the special, uh, special ops warfare training school, then, then we qualify for this level of Christianity. Nope. It's not because they were so cool. They were cool. Absolutely cool. The coolest as, you know, cooler than anybody at the end of the day. But that's not why. Just because they were cool doesn't mean that's why they overcame. The reason they overcame is because of faith. God sustained them. God sustains us. Not because of our works, but because we believe and trust in him. And when our trust and our faith is in Jesus Christ, he promises to make us stand and promises that we will overcome the world. It's our faith. So where does this faith come from? Is it because they drummed it up somehow? They, they, they read enough books? They... Uh, they, 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 they did enough push-ups and did enough... No, faith doesn't come from human effort. Who is the author and perfecter of your faith? Where does faith come from? We actually get, uh, get a little insight on where faith comes from. If you open up to Romans chapter 12... What is a verse? Hold on. Ah, there it is. Verse three. Sorry about that. Verse three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul is saying, don't think higher higher of yourself than you than you should. He says, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has given. Who gave the measure of faith? Now Jesus says faith is like a mustard seed, so it doesn't like just because you maybe maybe you received a mustard seed. A measure of faith doesn't mean you're stuck with small faith because he says when, when that seed um, blooms, when it grows, it, it grows up to be bigger than all the trees of the field with the uh, birds coming to, to rest in, in its branches. So just because you have a small measure of faith doesn't mean you're stuck with that. But the reality is God assigns a measure of faith to each one of us. So we can know with certainty that our faith isn't because of, of, of our ability or because we have a special, you know, a skill to conjure up uh, a feeling or something. It is a reality that God, the creator, has assigned. He has given faith. And so we can take great courage and be filled with joy to know that God has given us 
a measure of faith, and it is that faith that will overcome the world. That there is no obstacle that we cannot endure. There is no circumstance that cannot be overcome. For our faith is our victory. It's God anchoring us to his promise. It's God anchoring us to himself. Our faith is our anchor to Jesus Christ, and nothing can overcome our faith. Nothing can overcome our trust in Jesus. It is our anchor. So we can have great confidence in the days ahead. And it's not about what we do or don't do or whatever. It's about the faith that God has assigned to us. And we can be confident that it's our faith that will give us victory, that will anchor us to Him no matter what is going on in this world. No matter what obstacles we face, no matter what thing may happen to us, we are anchored to Jesus Christ. And just as the faith has survived generation after generation after generation and generation after that, we can be confident that we will carry the faith forward and through to the next generation. And God will establish us unshakable. So that's the positive. I wanted to make sure we spent some solid time considering the positive side of, because what I'm about to say is going to be a little disturbing. I found it a little disturbing myself. But there is actually, surprisingly enough, and I welcome your feedback on this. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe what I'm about to say is absolutely insane. I'm happy to be talked out of this position. But you're going to have to do it from the Word of God. You can't just, you can't just do it because it bugs you. You've got to show me from the Word. So... Back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul talks about a different kind of anchor, an anchor that does not set inside of Jesus Christ. God has made this faith and this anchor available to all. That is the proclamation of the gospel to present the truth. Now, we all know that lots of people don't like the truth, reject the truth. But did you know that there is serious consequence for those who reject the truth? And Paul refers to it here. He says that the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power, false signs, and wonders with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So there is a whole segment, I like to call them fallen humanity, that refuse to love the truth. They refuse the anchor of faith that glues us to Jesus Christ and promises that we will overcome the world. They refuse it. They don't like it. They reject that anchor called faith. 
Now, you might be tempted to think like, oh, well, you know, I'm sure God will just, you know, kind of like, leave them alone and let them have whatever thing that they're, they're, you know, whatever, just to kind of leave them alone. God does not leave them alone in that condition. God says to them, you, if you choose to reject my anchor, if you choose to reject the faith, if you refuse, what am I, I, I'm using double negatives here. What am I doing? If you refuse the faith, if you refuse the anchor, if you refuse the truth, sorry about the confusion there. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, I am going to give you a different anchor. I am going to give you a different faith. That's That's not going to glue you to Jesus. It's going to glue you to the lawless one. The opposite of faith is delusion. It's delusion. Faith is faith in the truth. Faith isn't making things up that aren't true. Faith is believing truth. There is a one-to-one relationship between faith and truth. If you have faith and you don't have truth, you have delusion. You are deluded. And God says, I am going to send this delusion to those who reject the faith. Verse 11. Therefore, let me back it up. So the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power, false signs and wonders, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Verse 11. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. God, this is me now, God sends them a delusion so that they may believe what is false. God says, I made my faith available to you and you reject it. I will therefore give you a different kind of faith. It's no faith at all. It's called delusion. God sends the delusion. So this scenario that we're looking at playing out in the years to come pits the faith of the saints, the faith that has been handed down generation after generation, faith in the truth, faith that holds onto Jesus Christ no matter the cost, versus a delusion that anchors lawless humanity to the lawless one. 
we are getting a picture of the antithesis of Jesus and his bride, the church. For Jesus loves his church, lays down his life for his church. Love is the binding element of Jesus and his church. And it is our faith that anchors us in him. It is our faith that withstands all things and overcomes the world. We can stand against anything because God has given us the faith that overcomes the world. That is the picture of Jesus and his bride. Now, you take the opposite picture, and it is of the man of lawlessness and a lawless, fallen humanity. Not bound together by love, no, bound together by the pursuit, the lust for lawlessness. And God doesn't give fallen humanity faith, no. He gives them the very opposite. He gives them delusion so that they will believe what is false. It actually speaks to the measure of how stupid what they're actually believing is. Like everything in reality will be telling them, you are believing a lie. You are believing a lie. Yet, they will be so deluded that they will hold to the lie. They will believe the lie. What is that lie? Now, that might be a question for a different episode. What is the lie that they believe? Maybe I'll get into that in a different episode. I just wanted to hold in the and make in uh, as stark as possible the difference between the faith of the saints, the overcoming of the world, and the delusion, the antithesis of faith, faith, delusion. It is what fallen humanity experiences. It is sent by God to ensure they believe a lie. It's terrifying if you think about it. So it shows us how dearly we must hold to our faith, how dearly we must take our faith, and back to the original part of this episode, must take seriously the shape our faith takes. Our faith must take the, fa- the shape that Paul is establishing in the Thessalonian church. And if anybody is trying to talk you out of that faith, do not listen to them. Rejection of faith has high consequence because you can't just reject the faith of the Bible without consequence. God will see to it that you cannot. Your faith is given to you by God. Your faith was assigned to you. Now, maybe God gave you a mustard seed. You're still called to cultivate that faith. Because it can grow up and be bigger than anything in this world. 
your faith. This is our victory, our faith. So I want to encourage you with that today. Um, I never know like how good an episode is from, you know, one episode. I kind of go off of what you guys are telling me. So I appreciate the love and the support out there. And I realize like not every episode is going to be awesome, whatever. It's fine. I, I, you know, I'm not looking for, you know, uh, false encouragement, but boy, if it's blessing you and encouraging you to go deeper in, in your understanding of the word, encouraging you to go deeper in your relationship of Jesus, give me a shout out. Maybe share this episode with others. Um, I, I would just, I'm just, oh, I'm just wanting to see what God will do through my voice, through what he's doing in my life. Um, and if it's touching you, and if I know it's touching you, it's going to give me a fire to keep going and keep leveling up. So uh, I guess I'll kind of leave it there. I appreciate you guys. And uh, I guess we'll uh, just remind you to, to keep watching, keep praying, and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. All right, we'll see you next time. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you. And I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.